Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 1, Power Saver Mode is over, but we are just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Hello, friends. Welcome back to our Mr. Robot Podcast here. I am Josh Wiggler, and I am joined here by a man who is one hole punch away from drinking all of the milkshakes, Antonio Mazzaro. How are you, Antonio? Hello, I friend. Drink it up. Hello, friend. Are we still here? Uh, am I? What did we miss, Josh? Did you see something I didn't? I've always seen things that you have not seen and vice versa. And really, it's more you. You're you're more eagle-eyed than I am. And that is not just because I have a prescription for uh, very bad vision. Although you have bad vision as well. Bad. I have, yeah, normal pupil vision. I mean, most people wear contacts or eyeglasses. Don't call me bad, Josh. Yeah. I, let me just ask you, though. Maybe if you're saying I see things that you don't. This episode aired last night. We're recording this on Thursday around uh, one o'clock to time ourselves out here. How many times do you think I've watched this? episode oh this is a great question uh antonio mazaro if you were just listening for the first time and you've just wandered into our mr robot podcast antonio loves to rewatch things you've seen scream queens about a thousand times something like Um, that i'm gonna say you have seen the season three premiere three times that it, it's more than that. It's more Whoa, than that. Yeah, wow. it's more than that. It's more than that. Wow. It's more than that. Yeah. So there we go. That's why I see things because I watch again and again and again. And oh my god, it's funny. I don't know. It's like you sometimes you read a book when you're younger, like Catcher in the Rye, when you're like 14 or 15, and it really taps into some angst that you have, and then you read it at 30, and you're like, well, this kid's an idiot, or maybe it resonates with you in a different way. Depending on when you watch an episode, you might notice things you didn't notice before. You might be, it might, the first time you watch it, you might start thinking about things and it might not be till the third or fourth time that it starts to sink in. So here we are, Josh. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, here we are. We are here on Post Show Recaps in collaboration with The Hollywood Reporter, my home base where I will be doing interviews with the cast and crew of Mr. Robot all season long, many of which are actually already up on yes. THR right now. By the time you are listening to this, a couple of conversations with Sam Esmail, with Rami Malek himself, with Carly Chaikin, a.k.a. Darlene, uh, our weekly column with Cor Adana, one of the great writer-producers on Mr. Robot, which we will be doing. We will be doing that every week, and it will be very, very fun. I think the first one is a really great kickoff uh, where we're going to be pulling the curtain back on some of the Easter eggs and just some of the deeper dives into the story. Really hope you guys check that out. And of course, we're also going to be podcasting weekly. Antonio and I are going to be teaming together, as we have done before. We have talked through every single episode of Mr. Robot and many other shows as well, but let's just drill down into Mr. Robot for the moment. And it has been over a year since we have had a new episode of Mr. Robot to discuss. And we've got that in spades now. Uh, just one episode, one one-hour episode to talk through. But man, what an episode. Uh, we will be getting into full bore spoiler territory in just a second. Just to give you some links, you can hit up all that THR stuff at THR.com slash MRRobot and to subscribe to our show here on Post Show Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash MRRobot iTunes. Your ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated as we are trying to get found and discovered in this early stage. Uh, stage zero? Stage what? Of I don't know how many stages. <laughs> stage uh, three. Stage three, I suppose. Yes, yeah. season three. Uh, your reviews and ratings are very, very helpful as we are trying to be noticed in the iTunes charts and bring more friends along for the ride. Yeah, please. And I'm um, um, more people should be watching the show period if you know friends who aren't watching the show let them know mr robot is back and there's it's a great back. way to catch up you can go to amazon prime watch the 
first two seasons. This episode, I assume, will be airing at various times at USA all week. So now is a perfect time to get into this and really catch up. So thank you all for tuning in here to the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes to subscribe. Josh, you said uh, we have a new episode in spades. Do those spades get dumped into a red wheelbarrow? Yes, indeed they do. Among other things, uh, it's, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't even know where to begin, uh, with the season three <sighs> Perhaps premiere. At the beginning. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. No, that's a different <laughs> Julie Andrews song. Uh, no, this is, this is a wild premiere. Um, a lot of what we have come to think about Mr. Robot, I think, is being directly challenged here, at least for me, in this first episode in a pretty compelling way. Um, so I'm excited to talk through, you know, what's inside the Washington Township Power Plant, uh, which we will get into very, very, very swiftly here. Um, so there's there's just great material. Uh, and it seems like the reviews are really thumbs up on season three of Mr. Robot so far. You know, some people were a little bit on the fence with season two. Uh, I think putting it nicely, uh, some people maybe had pushed themselves over Jerks. the fence. Uh, some people had hopped off on their own who just thought that maybe it was a little slow, a little bit meandering. Antonio and I, you and I, we have always been in on Mr. Robot. I think maybe a couple of moments along the way in season two that I was a little more out on than you, perhaps. But overall, I think we both gave it an A grade pretty firmly. Uh, so I don't think Mr. Robot is like now suddenly great again. I think Mr. Robot never stopped being great, but it is exciting to know <laughs> that... I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll get to a rant about that later on. Uh, you know, I think that it's, it's just exciting to know that the people who were out on season two seem to be really in on season three. So it gives me a lot of confidence and faith in in where we're moving forward uh, as the season progresses. Can't have a con without the confidence, Josh. So that is great. I'm glad we have that confidence. And it is encouraging, too, because I think some of the real mainstream reviewers have seen multiple episodes and are still really thumbs upping the season. So that is encouraging for sure. And it's I can't wait to talk about this with you because I do think that a couple of the moments from season two that you might have been more out on are really thrust right to the forefront at the beginning here in season three. So we're going to have to talk about that, Josh. And we're going to have to talk about what your mental state is. And are you maybe becoming what? what's the word? What's the word for season three? The, the buzzword for season three? Disintegration. Are you becoming disintegrated, Josh? Is there disintegration going on with your views or where are you with that? I can't wait to break all that down. So let's just jump right into it, shall we? Shall we yeah. dance? Shall we dance? Yeah, I don't know about disintegration, but my brain is definitely fried after watching this episode. <laughs> so we'll talk through exactly why that's the case. Uh, we're going to talk through the episode basically beat by beat. We'll stop down. We'll drill down. We'll analyze as we're going here. Uh, but let us start at the very beginning. And the very beginning takes us to Red Wheelbarrow, uh, Antonio. For those who do not remember what a Red Wheelbarrow is, what is Red Wheelbarrow? It's a barbecue joint, Josh. It's a barbecue joint, but it's more than a barbecue joint, clearly. It is also a poem by William Carlos Williams, and it is a poem that Tyrell said was the only English that his father knew, and we see that in the previously on segment, the scene from season two, where Tyrell blurts it out to Elliot, and Elliot says, you're not seeing, you're only seeing what's in front of you. You're not seeing what's above you. That's the moment that sent Tyrell into a tailspin that had him calling Elliot that God, a God, 
and that we, you know, we're not looking above us and God is watching and that had really that sent Tyrell off the rails. So it's more than just a barbecue joint, Josh, but in the context of the show, it's also a barbecue joint. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the place that the code was written on the menu that Mr. Robot decoded and Elliot watched at the end of season two that led Elliot to ultimately meeting up with Tyrell that brought Elliot and Tyrell back together it was the red wheelbarrow menu that did that. And here we are at the actual spot. I think not the only red wheelbarrow grand opening of a new franchise. And what's great, too, is that Red Wheelbarrow also exists in reality, at least in a form. Uh, many people who are listening to this have probably eaten from so Red Wheelbarrow before, yeah. uh, because Red Wheelbarrow Barbecue has been trotted out at a lot of the activations at like Comic-Con, at San Diego Comic-Con, at the New York Comic-Con activation, which, Antonio, I know you thought that I had uh, attended, but I actually was not able to go in the long run. So I have not been, uh, I have not indulged in Red Wheelbarrow myself. Uh, but I know that a lot of people have. Apparently, it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty good. That's uh, that's great. Curb your enthusiasm, Josh. I'm glad you didn't uh, have it. I'm glad that I that I don't I don't have to be jealous of you for that. Yeah, it's a real barbecue spot. I've seen the pictures on Twitter. I am very jealous. Although I don't believe you can legitimately make good barbecue in New York. Uh, no wow. offense. Yeah. All right. We're gonna have to fired. get you back here. We're gonna get Antonio back to New York. I'm gonna take you Shots to fired. Dinosaur Barbecue. We'll go to Fet Sal. We'll go to a few of these places that are actually pretty legit. But uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. You'll, you're gonna love it. We'll, we'll go. We'll definitely right, go. Right. Um, it's, it's funny that you, that I guess I brought up Curb Your Enthusiasm, but you said the words, uh, which obviously is back in full force on HBO right now. The character that we launch into Mr. Robot season three with also, uh, played by a man who is an HBO veteran, but kind of Larry David esque in his, <laughs> o- in his opening <laughs> confrontation, uh, where he is going to yes. not like quite get into a fight with the Red Wheel barrel cashier but this man we are meeting irving played by bobby Cannavale, the great bobby Cannavale, new series regular here late of vinyl boardwalk empire a whole bunch of other shows uh and films terrific actor so exciting to have him in the mix here uh is going to get really kind of like rubbed wrong about the fact that he can't get his free milkshake that he just got his 10th hole punched on his free milkshake card uh but he he can't get it until the next time he comes back to, to red wheel what qualifies as a visit? Is it time-based? Yeah, he's a uh, he's great, and you're right, very Larry David esque in this confrontation. But I think also expressing some some themes here, some things that are relevant to the show when we talk about chaos and principles, and when we lose our principles, we invite chaos. I believe it was Philip Price, Josh, in season two, who threatened to reign chaos on white rose so chaos is not something someone who is so very particular about schedules and time and plotting things out as white rose likes and it's funny to see irving right there on the same page right away i don't want to invite chaos we need to be regimented here if you're saying i get a milkshake i get a milkshake so from my conversation with Cora Donna, we kind of drilled down into this moment where Irving is like, you know, really debating the whole milkshake idea and the uh-huh. abandonment of principles and the invitation of chaos. Yeah. He also talked about like the formation of, uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh, and, and Cora Donna <laughs> said like at the first table read of the season, when Bobby kind of, I brought like broke that out for the first time, the room just erupted in laughter. Uh, so a, a hit right off the bat, a real home run with that, with that line read. Uh, but Cora Donna, 
Hannah's explanation of this scene, he said, It's interesting to me because the world is descending into chaos already at this point in the show's timeline. We've seen characters in earlier seasons abandon their principles and bring about these apocalyptic levels of change. I love that Irving somehow seems untouched by the world crumbling around him, but he's able to comment on the theme of chaos and how it comes to be. Uh, I think that's great, too, about this character. And we're like fast forwarding just a little bit here uh, into into deeper into this episode when Irving is going to part ways with Elliot when they're both at Red Wheelbarrow together. And he's like, eh, well, the Mets aren't on, so I'm, I'm probably just going to keep working on my book and <laughs> just yeah. go home and relax. Like, this is a meat potatoes, meat and potatoes kind of guy. Uh, I don't know exactly what he uh, what he was eating at Red Wheelbarrow. I assume meat and some potato product was involved. <laughs> uh, Barbecue and chips, probably, yeah. Right. He's very salt of the earth, right? Like, he is he is somebody who, who seems like he's kind of, he's got both feet planted on the ground. He was described in the in the off season as a used car salesman. I don't know that that's completely like inaccurate. It kind of seems like that's you know in line with what he does actually yeah. do. But he's also clearly involved with the Dark Army. He's some sort of fixer. Um, uh, Corradana has described Irving as the Harvey Keitel character from Pulp Fiction, sort of a the similar wolf. idea of, of the Wolf. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of bringing that presence to the show. But he is just sort of salt of the earth, and I think that that's an interesting angle into like these really heady concepts that we're clearly getting into that we've all always been in with Mr. Robot, but are maybe veering into in an even more serious way as we move forward here. Um, so just a great introduction for this character and just the way that he's very dismissive of a person when he's speaking with them, when he's got that Bluetooth in and he's just now still just like kind of dead staring you while he's having a completely separate conversation with somebody else, which we as a viewer know and will soon confirm is with Tyrell Wellick, who has just shot Elliot Alderson, and you get Irving just so calm about something that should be a really big deal to the Dark Army. Um, it's just great. It's a it's a really, really great moment for the show and a great introduction for somebody who is going to hopefully be a really big character this year. Yeah, his look is great. He's got those big metal-rimmed glasses. He's got that weird mustache. It looks a little bit like a John Waters, or not quite a pencil mustache, but it's not far from it. He's got the hair up, and you're right, he's a little bit of a hustler. He has this aspirations. He's talking about working on a book. He's talking about, he's, we see him putting his, uh, his card underneath the, the windshield wipers of cars on the street. Like he wants to do business. He's got a for sale sign on the car that he's driving. Like this is a guy who has his own thing going on. And he's a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing because you look at him with that mustache and those glasses. And I don't think you take him very seriously. If you just look at the guy, I saw also with the Bluetooth uh, earpiece on, he just looks like that kind of goofball you see out there walking around. And yet there is an edge to this guy. You see it in his face. You see it when he leans into Elliot later, which we'll talk about. So it's Bobby Cannavale just really bringing the, the, the thunder and the heat. I love this guy. Great introduction to the character. And you're right. He meets with Tyrell. Tyrell's freaking out. Oh, maybe you shouldn't press on his chest. Uh, you're probably not doing him any favors, you know, like uh, hey, he's still alive, kind of. He's kind of still alive. Like it's just a he's taking it all in stride and, and Tyrell is losing his mind. So great juxtaposition of those two characters. They are great to see that. And yeah, the world is descending into chaos, Josh, which I think is interesting because you talk about uh, Corridana's answer about how their people are willing to abandon their principles and bring about these apocalyptic levels of change. 
I have to point out, and this is something we'll talk about as we get into what Elliot's role in all of this is, it was Elliot who probably at some point abandoned some darker principle, the Mr. Robot principle, and targeted Terry Colby, and that sent the whole thing sideways in season one. That's what got Gideon Goddard to be suspicious. That's what got the honeypot put in. That has put Ed, Elliot in, at some time sideways with the Dark Army. So Elliot isn't so much abandoning his principles as at war with his own principles in many respects, and that's something fascinating that we see play out over the course of this episode as well and i think that seeing this juxtaposition of irving a man of principle or a man who says we have to stand by these things or we invite chaos that is a fundamental theme of the whole series that we've seen play out so it's great to hear him encapsulated over a milkshake josh yeah, I think it's really critical that that's the first thing that we're seeing this uh, in this season. I think that's something that you're gonna you're really going to want to remember. I would imagine is you know you're not going to have uh, your first scene of this entire season set at a barbecue joint with an argument over a milkshake about the abandonment of principles and the invitation of chaos. If that's not kind of the big theme of the season, and I think that that is fueling what Elliot's journey seems to be based on this episode of wanting to right some of his wrongs. Um, so that's exciting. I think it's a, it's a great tone setter for, for the year. Uh, not easy to introduce a fully formed character, series regular, no less, into the world of Mr. Robot, which is already so dense and populated with so many um, wildly imaginative and colorful characters uh, this late into the game and have it work out so successfully. So I'm really buying into it. It feels like he's been here the whole time, uh, which, is, which is cool. I can't wait to see like what you know what curtains he's been behind along the way right, right like right you know what is what has he already had his fingers in in like which pots has he been involved in and it's um, it's gonna be fun it's gonna be it's gonna be really really great and yeah he's the guy who helps tyrell out here and helps elliot out here uh there's a doctor he's about two minutes out don't worry about it clearly elliot's gonna be okay as we're gonna see very shortly but before we find out about about elliot's fate um we go deeper into a place uh that is very much uh relevant to Elliot Alderson and Elliot's past. Antonio, holy heck, we Back are going scene. we are going inside of the Washington Township power plant. Um just to reset it for anybody who doesn't understand the relevance of this place, can you just like talk us through why this is such a big deal that we are seeing this place? Yeah, this is sort of the Axis Mundi. Like this is the 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 key holy place that is the the toxic swamp that created Elliot and Angela by the leak from which killed their parents in some respects or the work at which as we're finding out in this scene may have killed directly mr alderson aka mr robot we're finding out we've heard a ton about this plant this is a plant that has been an e-corp plant at least since the the 80s probably certainly since the early 90s and it is a plant at which white rose has talked about running a project and how that project is very important she's been willing to kill to protect the project she's willing to loan josh untold amounts of money from the chinese government to e-corp directly at low interest or in fact no interest in order to protect this plant it perhaps is, even zero perhaps even zero it is the locus of all of everything that that White Rose has focused on, and we speculated a ton about what is this project? What's going on here? White Rose is obsessed with time. White Rose tells DDP in episode five, I think, of season two, like, do you think that there are alternate timelines where the 5-9 hack didn't happen? Uh, and the concept of which uh, is quite moving. And all of these things White Rose has talked about probably in some way relate to this project. And Josh, here we are. And what is it? It's just a, all it is is a giant speaker to play Julie Andrews. 
That's it. <laughs> yeah. Which is a great project. I must admit, if you're going to a municipal project that just plays Julie Andrews songs, is a great idea. Yeah, I think that there are worse uses of billions and billions and trillions of dollars yes. than to just, you know, invent these, basically these massive Sonos speakers that right, are just exactly. going to blare, Hello. whistling, whistling away the dark from Darling Lily, a Julie Andrews movie from the early seventies is the music that carries us out of Washington Township. But man, burying the lead. Time travel confirmed. <laughs> I mean, confirmed. What? Not confirmed. Not confirmed. But confirmed. Uh, but oh my gosh, uh, we are we are being invited to look upon the project that White Rose has put into effect, and there is some sort of massive, massive contraption inside of the Washington Township power reactor, uh, and what it is and what it does all remains enigmatic um but look you and i have talked before on these mr robot podcasts about is this show ever going to veer in the direction of the science fiction of the hard sci-fi is that something we could see mr robot doing and i've been kind of out on that in the past and it just doesn't feel like a direction that this show would want to go in this you know is a series about a guy who is fighting himself and he's fighting himself in the form of basically a projection of his deceased father that he sees interacting with other humans so this is a surreal series to when begin you put with. it like that yeah <laughs> but like that's you know it's visually inventive and it's emotionally inventive um it's also it's, super rooted in reality though like right. it was so notable in season one for being prescient and tapped in to everything that was going on around the world people were saying josh that the show itself was a time traveler in that it was predicting things that would happen and it certainly has done that with the news so it is it does exist in these let's say i don't know two different copies uh, these parallel universes where it is a show that has all those fantastical elements and that does exist in that very high concept world but it also in a parallel way exists in a very real world and the conjoining of those two states is what happens on this show so is it going into the hard sci-fi realm do you think or is it uh, certainly white rose is interested in taking the story in that direction yeah, so, th- you know, obviously, this was one of the very first things that I had to ask Sam Esmail when I when I got my hands on the guy. It was on the phone. I wasn't really touching him. <laughs> That's uh, good. That's good. You can't like, be trusted. You're just, a big hugger. Just choking him out. Why are you doing this? No. Uh, I asked him, you know, are you taking us firmly into science fiction? And his answer was, I can neither confirm nor deny, because I don't want to say anything that's too spoilery. But I will say, we try to be as rooted and grounded with the real world as possible. Even though we're in an alternate timeline, we still see a lot of parallels, given the fucked up nature of the world that parallel story is into our real world. We think it's important to keep that credibility to the world we know. I'll leave it at that, but I'll say this. In the real world... We do have a lot of people with wealth and power who have some lofty designs on the nature of reality and how technology can manipulate that reality. It's in that realm that I think we keep the show in. Um, so that's Rose Sam, is Elon Musk? That's Sam Esmail's <laughs> response, which, which, you know, does allow the possibility um, and hopefully even the likelihood that White Rose may believe that whatever is being built here in the Washington Township power plant is capable of accessing 
you know, parallel universes or connecting with parallel universes or exploring that idea, maybe time travel, some, you know, form of something surreal doesn't mean it has to happen. Doesn't mean that it has to be on the show. It might just be enough that this is something that White Rose believes is possible and the potential ramifications of that. Um, I could be on board with that. And now I have to get myself to a place where I have to be prepared for the fact that we could actually go into that territory sure. here in season three. So I need to begin the process of becoming okay with it, or at least accepting it as a potential possibility. So I'm working on that right now. I'm, I'm, mostly, <laughs> into, I'm mostly into the idea that this is a white rose priority and not necessarily like a white rose inevitability, that this is something that's absolutely going to happen. But I think that there are, there are ways to make this work that are very much still within the established rules of Mr. Robot. Uh-huh. Listen, if there's anything that can ease you into this, it's the sweet sounds of Julie Andrews, right? Like, this is a perfect way to transition us there. But you're right. Like, it is It is a certainly not only seeing the thing, which is awesome. And there are a lot of discussions on the r slash Mr. Robot subreddit already. Shout out to everyone there talking about what is this thing? Is it a particle accelerator? Is it a large hadron collider? Like, is it one of these things that exist in the real world? And it certainly seems that if you want to search or do Google image searches or you look at things that look like that it certainly looks like that's what we're looking at it's it's not clear exactly what that is but if it is something like that those things exist so that we can test the very laws of physics as we know them so that we can get at the fundamental mysteries of the universe and the uh the person who's giving the tour at the power plant there the e-corp employee says he loves a great mystery and is fascinated by the greatest unresolved mystery do we see reality as it is and when you're talking about things happening on the subatomic level josh and discovering new particles and understanding how those particles relate to each other which is what these colliders do then we maybe aren't seeing reality as it's really happening. There are things about what we're seeing that we don't know. There are rules of the universe that we haven't tested or proved. And there are that's the kind of work that goes on at these things. So White Rose is doing it in an unregulated way. And when you're talking about that, you're talking about things that could, as Philip Price pointed out in season two, bring essentially nuclear holocaust to the entire eastern seaboard. We're talking yeah. about subatomic collisions of particles going on here. This is not Josh, uh, this is not just, I mean, we're, are we splitting atoms here? Yes, we have, we might actually be. Like, this is very delicate, important, impressive work that's going on, and it seems like the government and the people who would regulate such work don't know that it's happening. And it's already killed a bunch of people. Philip Price's whole plan with Angela in season two was to get her into a position where this as part of a lawsuit didn't get revealed and that government inspections didn't start or weren't part of this. Uh, when we talk in the world that we exist in right now, Josh, even though Mr. Robot is now in a different timeline in, and by that same estimate, of course means they're still in 2015. We've moved on to 2017. And when we get into 2017, we're talking about what are people doing on this kind of level that the government doesn't know about? Is it a is it North Korea? Are these bad people that are doing things with this scientific type testing or projects that we don't that they could weaponize or that they could do something bad with? And that is a big topic of conversation with all of our politics around the world. Here's White Rose doing it, Josh. 
unregulated, unnoticed, and Lord knows what could be going on there. But I think you're right. It is probably focused on her obsession or Minister Zhang's obsession with this ability to perhaps conjoin these universes, conjoin these mental states, get into parallel dimensions, see what's behind the door that White Rose talked about Angela with in that confrontation scene, which, Josh, I think he or, or she must have shown Angela something right to get Angela to fully buy in the way she has. Angela is firmly Team White Rose at this point. So you got to imagine that White Rose has some sort of compelling evidence that this is a possibility. Uh, whether it was as simple as showing Angela what's inside the Washington Township power plant uh, or showing Angela something that came from the power plant. Um, that's scary. It's very, that's very frightening. There has to be something compelling enough to have turned Angela on a dime. You know, when, right. when we're, when we're catching up with Angela in this episode, it's, you know, about a week out from when she had this meeting with White Rose and Angela is already ready to completely throw her best friend in the world under the bus for his darker side. Uh, so. Yeah, that's frightening. It's a it's a very frightening prospect. What's also interesting to me is something else that White Rose says in this scene yes. about how Elliot's father worked on this project. What a coincidence. His son is working for us, too. And White Rose does not believe in coincidence. We also know that Angela's mother was, um, when she died, she died similarly as a result of her work in the Washington Township power plant. So was Angela's mother also working on this project? And what level of awareness did Angela's mother and Edward Alden have of exactly what it was they were working on. Um, so all of these are questions that that we now need to really be asking ourselves. And I think we got to keep our eyes peeled for parallel universe clues. Like I think that we need to be looking at doubles or triples or quadruples. We've or already had some of those, right? Indeed, like Angela has already come face to face with a little girl who at least looked a lot like Angela. And I think a lot of people you've already shouted out the Mr. Robot Reddit feels like a lot of people are already like fully on board with like, well, that wasn't just an Angela lookalike. That was little Angela. That is an Angela from an alternate reality, which I'll, I'll pump the brakes on that. I'll stop short of like fully buying into that until we've got much more confirmation on that could still be coincidental. Um, but you gotta look for those clues now which is just another layer to to add to this already like remarkably complicated show so josh there are no coincidences there There are are no coincidences coincidences. it's true even if it's not coincidental white rose is clearly taking advantage of a situation you say angela turned on a dime she must have seen something compelling we've seen her turn on a dime before when she was so against e-corp and wanted to take them down and then was working there by the end of season one uh we've seen her turn on a dime in the way she treats her father we've seen her turn in the dime in terms of how what role she wants to play in the lawsuit or should it progress or should it be dropped or whatever so we've seen this from angela but we've seen that her through line in terms of her evolution has always been what she states at the end of this episode which is that evil corp killed my mother and that's i something i want to undo and i wanted to get revenge about and i failed at every turn but now i'm all in because i'm seeing there might be another way what white rose showed her or what that other way could be i don't know but clearly white rose 
white rose would have played on what he or she what he what she knew about angela what she knew were angela's weaknesses knowing what happened with her mother knowing that it wasn't a coincidence this may have been plotted from a long time ago there's a lot of speculation about that that white rose knew who elliot and angela were from the time they were they this this incident happened and has tracked them and has probably found ways to manipulate them throughout is it a coincidence that cisco gave the disc to ollie i don't know but it's possible that it wasn't a coincidence and that he was waiting for ollie to take it specifically so angela could be the one that was manipulated and those are the things we have to look at and as even if we're just talking about this on a theoretical level uh, might our mental states be conjoined for better or worse conjoined mental states is something that's happening with elliot and mr robot it's something that's happening with white rose and minister zhang we are already seeing these things in characters within the context of the show so whether or not that's as a result of theoretical physics or parallel universes or whether it's just a a thematic issue that is present in this show it certainly is on point that white rose would want to be tapping into that and this is a person who has her own conjoined mental states in her own body and is certainly probably very fascinated with how those two things can exist at the same time and maybe they're in a different universe he's only white rose or Maybe in a different universe, she's only Minister Zhang. So that's definitely something thematically that is on on point, taking away all of the actual scientific things which may be going on there. It's exciting. Uh, It it is exciting to at least talk through and who knows where it's headed. Um, Maybe we have a little bit of a clue of where it's headed. There is a heavy alternate reality game component. Speaking of alternate realities, uh, alternate reality component to Mr. Robot surrounding the show. This has been uh, a fun aspect of the series since I don't know if it was a big part of season one because I wasn't watching season one live, but certainly uh, and people can correct me on that, but certainly since season two uh, where you can, you know, follow, uh, you can scan codes and go to websites and figure out sort of the meta story through back channels. And this is a, this is another area that Corridana is largely responsible for, or at least deeply involved in, uh, and is stopping short of giving outright clues to me, has told me that if we, if you and I, Antonio, if we unearth things on our own and bring them his way, he will happily, uh, he will happily field those, but he's not going to be too open about volunteering information. But the detectives on the internets have already seemingly cracked some of these uh, cases or at least are on the trail where there's like subreddits uh, subatomic reddits even uh, <laughs> that, that have clearly been <laughs> that have clearly been planted by the Mr. Robot team you sent some of this my way Antonio uh, can you can you talk about any of like the major takeaways from this like this is some of the stuff that seems to really heavily hint at this being a collider being a, a, a particle accelerator that we're looking at in the Washington Township plant yeah without it getting I mean we could do a whole podcast about the ARG elements of the show. So without getting too deep into every little twist and turn, I definitely encourage you to check out, check out the r slash Mr. Robot subreddit if you're interested in this sort of thing. Sam Esmail himself has admitted that he's one of us. He's a Redditor. Uh, and it's clear that the show is interested in, in playing games with the people that are on Reddit trying to solve these clues. That is something the show is now actively working with Reddit to plant these subreddits. If you scan QR codes, like for example, ones you might see 
in passing when Elliot's looking at the in memoriam wall, you start finding subreddits that are related to E Corp employees of E Corp. You start finding subreddits that are related to uh, unexplained mysteries and phenomena and places in the United States where magnetic fields are having an impact and all of these, not the, not the musical group magnetic fields, the other actual magnetic fields are having an impact. And so you're right. It is certainly teasing at the themes that, that are, that are present here. A lot of these comments are doing that. It's certainly not an outright confirmation of anything. It's not an outright confirmation that yes, there are going to be parallel universes in the Mr. Robot world. There's a Stargate or this is a time traveling thing. Uh, but it's sort of hinting at what some of the issues that we may be discussing with this collider, if it's a collider and with everything that might be involved in White Rose's project. This is something the show is seeded earlier in the in the wet red wheelbarrow book that was written by Courtney Looney, uh, who is a story editor and writer on Mr. Robot and Sam Esmail. At, that was Elliot's journal from season two. There are little hints about this sprinkled throughout uh, when hot Carla, the pyro steals Elliot's journal at one point, or I think maybe when she wants to leave a book for Elliot in the library, it's in the electromagnetic field theory section of the library. So this is a seed that's been planted even throughout season two, obviously. And we talked about some of the specific scenes in the show, but it's been present in the ARG elements of the show as well. There were all the Back to the Future references. This is a show that is not only planning Easter eggs in plain view on the show itself, but is hiding them uh, within the context of this bigger game that's going on. That's playing with the people who really like uh, encryption and decryption and code breaking uh, and hacking and all those things that are part of the mythos of the show uh, and part of the reality that the show plays on. It's going on in the background, and it seems like the early stuff from this season is certainly pointing to these themes of particle physics or uh, theoretical physics or things like that that might be going on and things like that, Josh, <laughs> that may be going on uh, in the context of Mr. Robot in the in the collider in, in Washington Township. So. If you're into that sort of thing, highly recommend you dive deep. People are, are this is red meat being thrown to everybody right at the beginning of this season for sure. Reddit meat. Yeah. Uh, well, we haven't really <laughs> even talked about Elliot Alderson specifically yet. So if you're good, I think let's move yeah, let's into, get into the, his eyes. Yeah, let's get into his eyes. That's such a it's such a great transition. Mr. Robot is always so it's so much fun to see how they play the title card. Uh, and they do a great job of that in this episode for sure. And we leave the Washington Township power plant and we are zooming out of what does appear to be a collider or obviously some sort of massively crazy expensive contraption with who knows what what the hell it's going to do but it's going to be big uh and we go from that to elliot's eye like we hear like kind of like the julie andrews music drowning out um and we are with elliot now and we are about a week removed from when he was shot in the stomach by tyrell wellick and what a brilliant choice uh to to spend like to just like skip forward just a little bit in time um just long enough for elliot to have like a, a like an appropriate amount of time to recover and get back on his feet and really hop right into the action in this episode in a really propulsive way, really get that energy and get that momentum in the story going immediately. And also kind of brilliant that like Angela just sort of resets the stakes of everything where you and I did two preview podcasts about everything you need to remember about Mr. Robot before season three. And Angela like sums up everything in 30 seconds. Previously on Elliot's life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, so, listen, it behooves you to go and listen to those podcasts. If you have not, you sure. should have, you should have, you know, <laughs> on a serious note, you should have uh, a good working memory of the show as you're moving forward because there are so many moving parts, but it's a 
really smart way of reintroducing us to the stakes. It is. Uh, and we shouldn't make anything. I just want to make sure we dismiss with this before we get emails or tweets about it. We don't, we don't, we're not making anything other than stylistic choices of the fact that we go from the collider up through Elliot's eye. This isn't all in his head, right? No, 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 no. What that the that the Washington Township stuff is all in yeah, his head, or that the whole show is that, all in yeah. his head. Like, what's the connection? Why do we go up through his eye? Just from a stylistic standpoint, it's really cool. There's no, yeah, no other cinematic never, reason. No, never even occurred to me that that's something that's literally happening. Uh, you know, there's so much there's so much stylistic flourish on this show, and Sam Esmail and the team love to play with form uh, and love to just you know present new interesting uh unique visual images uh on the show i can't imagine it's more than that if you want to go down that robot hole people feel free i will not join you on that one no i won't either you had asked about lost Uh, there's a lot of lost coming up on eyes and there are a lot of scenes like that that happen in lost and i think you talked a little bit to cora donna about that uh and how maybe jumping right into the plant was similar to a very famous scene from the beginning of a lost season without spoiling that and there may be some connections there but i like the visual connection too i like the idea that we're pulling up through elliot's eye because we as viewers exist only in elliot's mind he talks to us we're his friend right but we don't just exist in that realm we often know things that elliot doesn't know and when you talk about disintegration uh that that was something that really played out over the course of season one right where we maybe were guessing at things or learned things throughout the course of season one that elliot didn't know elliot felt so upset by that josh that he lied to us for the first seven episodes of season two because he couldn't trust us and so now we exist in this world where we're learning a lot that elliot doesn't know we have no way to tell this guy but we are throughout the course of this episode i think we are in elliot's head in a lot of ways but we're also not in elliot's head we exist outside of it so it's fascinating to see that play out speaking of conjoined mental states where we know things that he doesn't and i think bringing us up through elliot's eye and into that world and then we're right back to are you still there am i what did we miss did you see anything yeah buddy we did we saw a lot we saw some shit Uh, poor guy poor guy like yeah we we also know by the end of this episode that angela's not on the level and elliot doesn't know that so when you talk about suspense and the way you can build that tension we as an audience now know a lot that elliot doesn't know having been totally conjoined with him earlier and really feeling specifically i think surprised in many respects by the things that we learned that he didn't know or learning them when he did now we know a lot that he doesn't and it's a different show in no no way is it uh, uh, worse off it's just a very different relationship we have with elliot so not only are we resetting the tyrell wellick shot him and it was real and angela is on board and looking she's going to be the first one that he sees when she wakes up but we're resetting our relationship with elliot too josh we're also resetting one of uh one of angela's old boyfriend ollie's favorite things in the world aren't we uh josh groban josh groban shout out yeah <laughs> that's hilarious this is a I, it's in the very first episode of the whole thing right when elliot is talking about ollie and his interests and what makes him so basic and his love <laughs> For Josh Groban being George W. Bush's decision point. Yeah, Josh Groban being like his favorite musician, being high on Elliot's hit list of reasons to hate Ollie. And now poor Elliot is being forced out into the world wearing a Josh Groban shirt. It's just a very funny wink 
can nod to the earliest days of this series. I love that. That did not go unnoticed by me either. I will say really quickly on um, one point on the relationship between Elliot and his friend, who is us, and that's one of the great things about Mr. Robot is that we are, in a lot of ways, a character. We're somebody that Elliot is speaking to, and we are invited both within the show from Elliot, but also in the meadow way by the writers and the producers and Sam Esmail to really engage this show and perform uh, investigative activities to figure out what's going on. And you can do as much or as little of that as you as you want, but it's a show that wants you actively thinking and actively being in the story and therefore makes you a character. And Elliot has been angry at us in the past for withholding information from him. Um, but I don't expect that Elliot will ever be mad at us in that way again. Uh, I think that, you know, this is once again skipping ahead a little bit, but that whole um, that whole monologue he has deeper into the episode where we're seeing visions of a future that could pan out on Mr. Robot and certainly a world we are living in as we are recording this of a Trump presidency and everything like that, where Elliot really takes it on himself and, you know, his final takeaway is, quote unquote, fuck me, you know, from, you know, uh, fuck society to fuck God in season two to fuck me in season three is Elliot's new line of thinking where he is saying, this is my fault. This is on me. I can't imagine he's throwing us under the bus for anything that we know and haven't clued him in on anymore. I think that Elliot is at a point here in season three where he is accepting, I brought this into existence. This is on me. Help me where you can, but you're not accountable for knowing something that I don't know. I'm curious if that's going to play out that way, like if I'm right about that or if I'm wildly wrong, but that's just my instinct in terms of um, the relationship between us and him. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I do think that Elliot is maturing, and we'll talk about that when we talk about that monologue, but he's seeing the world through different eyes, and it's meta on, on many levels. It's great to see that Mr. Robot, even though it exists in 2015 still, the world has changed and so the creators are looking at their show differently and they're thinking that has you had a great talk with Sam Esmail about that when you talked about that scene and we'll get into the the, the nitty-gritty of that but yeah it is certainly our relationship with Elliot will naturally change as Elliot's relationship with himself changes as Elliot's view of the world changes his view of his friendships change and that's a very natural and real thing that happens with people it certainly is going to be natural and real that it would happen with Elliot so I do like that and I, I like that we see that playing out through the changing of the world of the, the, the show Mr. Robot when Elliot walks out outside he sees street preachers talking about fearing one world corporations and he sees people that are watching him his landlord has even changed his apartment josh yeah and who is his landlord because you told me this before we hopped on the podcast and you kind of blew my mind more than anything else that's happened in this episode it's josh mostel he's a it's american noted american actor josh mostel josh three joshes on this episode or three joshes involved josh wiggler josh groban and josh mostel <laughs> the trilogy of joshes yes. the trio. Hi, josh. yes. oh my god it's principal max anderson uh from, uh, from billy madison uh, yeah. billy madison fame oh boy Oh my God. I can't believe that. That was, uh, that was, a that was a shock. That was a, that was a, what, that's a wonderful thing. I hope that this guy is, uh, the key to understanding everything on Mr. Robot. Uh, certainly <laughs> that he comes in in the 11th hour and tackles, uh, White Rose as White Rose is about to shoot Elliot. That's what I want to, <laughs> that's what I want to see happen in the final episode of Mr. Robot. That would be fantastic. I'm glad I called that guy. Uh, um, that would be really funny if that happened. Well, yeah, no, that would be C. Bashami, but he oh. can 
come aboard. He can come aboard as well, and we can get a, a Buscemi and Carnival uh, reunion as well. We'll get there. Yeah, I mean, do we have any characters who uh, cross dress or have any is- or have any issues like sure. in that realm of the show? So that might yeah, there's some connection Interesting. there. Interesting. Connective tissue. Now, Josh Mustel, his dad was famous Broadway actor Zero Mustel, who played Tevia, Fiddler on the Roof, and I think he was in Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and a lot of other really great comedic stuff and musical theater stuff. Uh, Josh Mustel, in his own right, great career, noted actor, lots of things. He's done stage and screen, and it's fantastic, I think, to see him pop up on this show. Ostensibly, I think he's just there to say, hey, when we show exteriors of Elliot's apartment in this season, we recognize that the building we're shooting has changed, and we have to acknowledge that on some level. There's a bit of uh, real-world expositiony stuff he talks about here, like, I spruced up the front of the building. Can you get some more tenants? Tell them their utilities are free. But uh, we also serve to introduce the fact that somebody's been waiting in Elliot's apartment, and it's Darlene. Josh, Darlene is there. Elliot is paranoid. He's seen people, as he often does, outside his apartment in a in an SUV, potentially watching him. He puts the white noise machine as soon as he comes in the door. He puts it on. Uh, what's going on here? Is Darlene? Why is Darlene back? Wasn't she in the clutches of the FBI when we last left her? Suspect. <laughs> very suspect and of course we're gonna see that elliot isn't seeing things uh it's very real it feels like that there is there is an fbi van parked outside of elliot alderson's apartment and of course we know what was on that board we know um that the fbi knows about darlene and elliot's involvement with f society and the five nine hack and a potential relationship to tyrell wellick as well uh and the last time we saw Darlene as Carly uh, as Carly Chaikin said to me like the last time we saw her she was literally up against a wall um, you know she's between a rock and a hard place and uh, yeah gotta wonder you gotta wonder uh, what has happened with Darlene and her relationship with the FBI uh, definitely feels like she might want to get something for that sick burn <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, you think she might be burnt. Yeah, uh, it's possible. It's possible she's been out in the sun too long. I mean, look, they were the FBI was saying things like Guantanamo and Patriot Act and really saying she had no rights. We saw Agent DiPiero, DDP, as we like to call her, lobbying that she be the one to work solely to try to flip Darlene. We heard her say that near the end of season two. Then she built her Jersey connection, Josh. We thought these characters might have been connected on a deeper level the ddp theory where they might have known each other from their past they didn't but they know each other on some level ddp herself as we saw throughout season two feels a little alone in the world has anxiety about things stays up at night and can't fall asleep and can't necessarily relate to people very well in open in the open world she herself was present at two shootings just like darlene was present at the one that killed cisco uh, ddp has lost people right in front of her right next to her she's had as close a brush with the dark army as darlene has and they're both jersey girls so Dar- ddp wanted to work in flipping darlene it does seem like unveiling the python strategy to darlene showing her everything they knew may have had an impact because not only is darlene possibly burnt she's asking elliot directly details she's doing the thing you do josh when you're wearing a wire or when you're trying to get information for the government and i said it quietly because i don't know if you are but uh yeah darlene wants to know what stage two is josh and elliot tells her ah uh, yep yeah. 
Yep, he tells yep, yep. her. Tells her. Tells her. So again, a thing to track. Definitely feels like Darlene is burned here. Uh, and Elliot, you want to be a little careful talking to your sister right now. Uh, but it's it's a it's a great scene, even outside of that, of just like watching Elliot, you know, be like, "That wasn't me. I'm not the one." Uh, you know, it wasn't me who set this into motion. And like this wasn't growing, <laughs> this growing acknowledgement though of this me. different aspect of Elliot, right? Like this different side of Elliot that people seem to be starting to appreciate to some degree where Darlene is like hearing that you know yep. she's like she's like listening to that and of course Angela is going to be interacting with a very different version of Elliot later on in the episode so she's on board with that as well yeah, season two Darlene wanted to talk to the other guy I need to right. talk to him she wanted to talk to the other guy when she wanted to really put some of this stuff into motion and needed Elliot's Mr. Robot help the chaotic the unbridled id elements of Elliot the, the part of Elliot that is really burned by what happened in Washington Township and that is similarly motivated to Angela and willing to go to great lengths to take Evil Corp down. That's the that's the version of Elliot that Darlene wanted to talk to. Now, can she recognize which one she's talking to at various stages? I'm not sure about that. Angela has that superpower right now. But Darlene is certainly cognizant of the fact that when Elliot says it wasn't me, she knows what he's talking about. And she's certainly willing to listen to that. But like I said, it, it's, it baffles me or kills me that we're, we're introducing something in this scene that I think it could be a major element of this season, which is that the FBI now probably knows the full details of stage two. So that makes me wonder if Darlene is still alive. They've let her back. She's still alive. They haven't killed her. The Dark Army hasn't taken her off the board. Elliot's allowed to go home and, and all of these things that are happening with Elliot and with Elliot revealing the plan and all of it. Is this something that's going on with White Rose not knowing or is White Rose playing four dimensional or, or multi-dimensional chess, Josh, uh, in perhaps letting the FBI know about the, the specific parts of stage two that involve getting all the paper documents to a building and blowing up that building? Maybe Maybe, Josh, that's not really what stage two is. Maybe that's the misdirection. Maybe that's the pattern. And the prestige of stage two is going to be something uh, completely different. Uh, yeah. And that's something I'm tracking right now is that if Elliot is really able to be in a position where Darlene is still on the streets and not murdered and he's spilling this to her and that she's working with the FBI uh, and we know now about all these things. I mean, what various parties know about each other's elements in this are fascinating. The FBI probably knows, Josh, now about the fem to sell. They know exactly how they were owned. Does that mean they remove it or do they leave it in place and honeypot it and set up a position where they can get back at the dark army in some way? And how how elevated are their efforts in that regard? It's fascinating to me that all of that is going on in the subtext of these scenes. And we don't really know from one episode where that's going to go. But right now, it sure seems like as for the specific details of stage two, that really are very important. Uh, we, the FBI is probably already going to know them. So stage two has to be something more, I think. So, so Elliot wants to shut down stage okay. two. He wants to. He wants he wants to end this. You know, this is what he was trying to do at the end of season two, but he got a little big for his britches and thought that he was the only guy in the room and he was wrong. He was very, very wrong and he got shot for it and now we're a week removed and it still hasn't happened. So he feels like he still has a shot. Uh, and so if he can just get to a computer, if he can get to a terminal, if he can get online, he can end it. Uh, and so that's going to take us to the hacker space. Uh, yes. This this underground hacker space, which is a really cool scene. It is at least presented as a 
done in one shot. I'm sure that there are tricks here and there that the people involved in it are describing it as a one shot. So a magician never reveals their secrets, but it certainly appears that way. It is presented basically as one long take of going into the hacker space. There is this digital capture the flag tournament going on, which seems like a, a fun time if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, that Elliot is going to basically have to resolve as quickly and efficiently as humanly possible so then he can have a terminal to himself and set about the business that he has come to this place for. And in the midst of all of that, Darlene is going to spot two people that seem to be involved with the Dark Army. Elliot sees them too. She's going to freak out. We know that there's an additional layer to her freak out here if we are assuming that she is just like completely compromised and she's freaking out about that. And on top of that, she's freaking out that the Dark Army is here. These guys just killed her boyfriend in front of her and maybe almost her. So she is rightfully having a massive panic attack. She's on the phone with somebody. Oh, right? she burnt. She burnt. She burnt. She burnt. Yep. It certainly seems that way. You're burnt. You're burnt. Um, and in the aftermath of all of that, she is going to come into contact with these two Dark Army agents after the capture of the flag tournament is won by Elliot and Elliot has had enough time to shut down the back door into E-Corp, which is going to at least cause a problem in the stage two plan, at least slow things down, you would think. Um, but it doesn't seem like he was able to fully finish the job by the time the Dark Army shows up and says to Elliot, basically, you know, come with us. You're with us now. Yeah, it, just the way it was staged, you're right. I mean, it was... It really was cool a, scene. Yeah, it was a wonder in, in not just in name alone. There was an extended take there, for sure. There may have been a couple of edits hidden in there at the doors or through the uh When through Darlene the is, like, walking towards the bathroom, like, the yes. camera swoops down in front of a in front the of the light. Yes. Yeah, like, that feels yeah. like a good place to make a cut. It reminded me of Rope by Hitchcock, uh, which was shot in just reels of film, and he didn't want to do any edits, so there were hidden edits in there, because you could only contain a certain amount of minutes in a reel of film. I think it was like seven minutes. So there are some brilliant things going on here, for sure. But the the fundamental impact of them not cutting is the tension does ratchet up in the scene. You're never taken away from it. And some of the great wonders that we've seen or done in one-shots that we've seen in recent memory, there's a fantastic sequence in the film Children of Men, that the tension of the scene is so palpable because we don't cut away from it. We're used to seeing things like that cut away. When the tension is too big, we cut to a different thing. Sometimes we cut to build the tension, but in this case, by not cutting, the tension is so ratcheted up that by when we follow Darlene to that bathroom, and all shouts to Carly Chaikin for the fantastically acted scene, I was uh, very moved emotionally, as you might say, uh, by White, like White Rose, uh, by, the, uh, by the moment that Carly Chaikin has with the panic attack in the bathroom. And yeah, she's calling somebody like the FBI, right? Because she's she's reaching out for help. I don't know who else she'd be calling, but she's certainly calling for help. And it does seem like the Dark Army is able to step in right before the, the scene ultimately, right before Elliot's able to do away with everything from stage two. Just certainly closes the back door at the very least, which we do know will probably set the timeline back. I, I don't make anything of the... the, the I think that um, Corridana had a great description to you in your discussion about what was actually going on with the capture of the flag tournament if you're interested in that definitely check out josh's discussion with core on the hollywood reporter yeah i don't but, think uh, we yeah. need to rehash it here no yeah. yeah there's some high level hacker fun going on there and i like the description that elliot says like or darlene says that everything's going on outside chaos is happening and these people are down here exercising their inner anarchy and josh i also really like something that we've seen elliot do from time to time in the show manipulating reality uh, he mutes the screen at one point 
Yeah, that's fun. That's great. Yeah, that's a that's a really great moment where he just like, man, it would be great if just like everyone could shut up and he just silences everything. It's like, oh, isn't that so much better? Yeah, it's I like, always I always love that. Yeah, it's a it's a great reminder of a right. superpower as as we sometimes call it. You know, one of Elliot's abilities, as it were, where he can kind of um you know he can focus on the things that he needs to focus on. He can tune out the world. He can make the world look the way he wants it to be. He's seemingly coming more and more to grips with the fact that. He has to face actual reality, yeah. uh, but he is able to exist in reality in ways that are more comfortable for him. He is. And you mentioned his superpowers. I also really liked about this scene that he was able to win the thing in two minutes. It it really establishes that not only is Elliot a computer yeah. hacker, he is a true like once in a generation talent in many respects. And you do wonder as we talk about what his his genesis, what was his origin story? And we know everything that happened at Washington Township and his dad saying there'll be no bills and everything that happened there. Was Elliot created in some respect? Was he well, did something happen? with this project that made Elliot the way he is, or did he just inherit a lot of this genetically and because he was interested in this? I mean, Elliot has a broken brain on some level, and I don't want to say broken, but he's uniquely, his brain has unique properties in many respects that cause him to disassociate, that cause him to see reality a certain way, that cause him to manifest his father and things that happen in that realm. But is there something more to that? Was it specifically designed? And I think that's fascinating when we see how truly talented Elliot it is is it just coincidence that he's this talented of a guy and he's involved in this project or josh are there no coincidences and are do his talents rest in something bigger that may have been cultivated as part of this project all i know is this scene really does establish how much he's set apart from the high level people who are participating in this competition on the u.s level representing the country against other countries around the world and all these other people around the world and elliot ends it in two minutes yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, for all the reasons you stated. And I, I really do think it's, you know, one of the strengths, um, of Elliot as a character. It's been one of the things that has been so alluring and fantastic about Mr. Robot from the jump is just the, you know, the authenticity and the authority with which this show presents this kind of skill, uh, and this kind of world. And to hop into it right away in this way in the season three premiere, it feels to me like one of many mission statements that are being made across this season like this is a very tense episode it's a real thrill ride of an episode we're about to literally go on a thrill ride with with irving which is such a great you know which is such a great scene um but there's just not only are you getting the mission statement this year about uh potentially diving into parallel realities or the mission statement from elliot in a few minutes from now where he's talking about this is on me maybe we you know we traded you know uh weakness for or strength for weakness you know that whole conversation he has that's a mission statement as well and you got to put the toothpaste back in the tube yourself as it were but also i think uh the energy of this episode and putting elliot in that um that position of real agency to show off his abilities and his skills uh hopefully is something we're going to see a lot of this year and i think for the people who are critical of season two and i don't think it's a, a fully unfair critique even though i do think elliot needed to be removed from the action to honor the truth of what he had just learned about himself that he is this other guy who's been responsible for all this stuff and i got to remove myself from the 
equation. Uh, and I think that that was a story that needed to be explored. But now we are in this possible path of Elliot taking more of a direct level of ownership over his actions. And that requires putting the man in front of a terminal and doing what you do best. Uh, like Wolverine, the best he is at what he does and what he does ain't nice. Uh, unless you're, you know, uh, I don't know, on the right side of things. Uh, but it's great. It's, it's a, it's a really cool scene and hopefully a tone setter for where we're going for the rest of the season. Um, let's get in the car with Irving, Please, right? I can't wait. Uh-huh. Let's do it. So Elliot and Darlene are Even escorted. It's dirty. It's very dirty. You know, it's not the cleanest of cars, but, but he's hey, got it's a free cab ride. But it's like kind of like a Batmobile of sorts where he's got like things like perfectly positioned around the places. Yeah. Like he, he's got his pad like strategically placed in the, you know, like there's yeah, my laptop the down there. there. Yeah. Hey, it's just like, can you grab that? It's like a Batmobile if Alfred wasn't there to like neaten the thing, right? right. Like you yes, imagine exactly. like Batman is just being a, Loose a big Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's Batman just being a total slob in the Batmobile or a revolting blob as it were, if we're going back to Principal Anderson. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, but yeah, so Irving is going to be the dark army contact for Elliot and Darlene and he's like we've been tri- we've been we're being tailed we got to stop this and a uh, really fun scene where there's a lot of great social engineering here which we've seen on the show before and is a fun part of the Mr. Robot iPhone game or iOS game if you guys didn't play that from Telltale where you're doing a lot of that where you're just really just like hacking into into people's um, you know <laughs> just you're just hacking people effectively uh, and we've seen that on the show before the whole build of it all back in season one i think that's episode five i want to say or maybe episode four is when they go to uh to the e-corp facility in upstate new york yeah i think uh, it's episode five somewhere yeah i think there. that's yeah. right i think that's right so it's just it's really fun whenever mr robot goes into this territory and irving in his own way proving some of his superpowers uh and you know that fast talking used car salesman stereotype uh of somebody who's kind of you know able to con people he's pretty gifted in this in this department yeah. um so it's a cool scene it shows off Irving's capabilities shows that he's not just, you know, a fun talker. You know, he's more than the uh-huh. You know, he is able to really get some get some shit done here. And uh, it's cool. It's a very impressive scene. And it takes them all back to Red Wheelbarrow, where Elliot and Irving are going to hash things out, Antonio. Yeah, maybe over some uh, hashed potatoes. Yeah, or some uh, something like that. I love Irving. He's a fast talker. He's a social engineer. He's a fixer. He does all these things. And we know that that's an important part of being a hacker. As you point out, the trips to the E-Corp facility, the Sam Sepial, the things that they they were doing in, in real time there, researching people and using details against them. I really like the social engineering hacks of the hacker world, that where you're, where you're hacking people, not hacking systems. And you're hacking systems through exploits that are people. People and I, I, Irving seems to be a master at this. I, I do like that. I like this scene here between Elliot and Irving because we see Darlene's not buying his shit though, Josh. Like he can, he may have a superpower and he may be a smooth talker, but but Darlene's not in on it. Miss is not here for this. Not feeling it. Not feeling it. Not enjoying the way that Irving is talking to her. And frankly, neither am I. Not a big fan. Yeah. Hey, Miss, could you get us a couple of number fours and get my, my, my card stamp? Yeah, like, she doesn't like the Miss. And it's funny because Irving is calling Elliot by name. He's like, Elliot, can you do this? Elliot, can you give me the, the plate number? But he's calling Darlene Miss. So maybe he's met Elliot before. He seems to indicate earlier in the episode that he has. I can't wait to see the circular storytelling of Mr. Robot filling in those blanks. But it does not seem like he's met Darlene before. And Darlene 
Darlene does not seem very enthralled by this uh, used car salesman, to say the least, and not excited at the concept of barbecue. Uh, so he's so good in this scene because there is the social engineering. There is the friendly side. But as we talked about earlier, he leans in when Elliot says, and Elliot is basically saying, right, we're going to drop this. I'm done. And Cannavale takes it in stride at first. Like, well, you know, uh, she always says that a plan lives or dies by its creator. So I want to go home. Uh, he's done. He's He's got the information he needs. He's going to figure out what the next step on this is, but he's not going to push it. But then Elliot pushes it, Josh. And Elliot says, I want confirmation from her. And that's when I think we see the second side of Irving here. And it's really, really great. Yeah, you know that bullet we took out of you. We can easily put it right back in. Uh, and you know, it, it could, it could be big talk. It certainly seems like White Rose needs some version of Elliot in existence in order to keep things going. You know, wanting to, to live and die by the guidance of the creator, uh, of the, of the plan. That is something that White Rose believes in very much. But we also saw, uh, in that first scene in the Washington Township power plant, we also get it from White Rose, like, then like once the plan is executed, then Elliot can die just like right. his father. So right. like maybe, we, you know, we're not putting the bullet back in you right now, but it certainly feels like White Rose isn't going to blink twice about putting a bullet back in Elliot eventually. Um, so it is a threat that's worth fearing. And it's also a threat worth fearing when Irving really Oops. seems to intimate. Yeah. Looking at Darlene <laughs> right. and really intimating like, well, we could, you know, we could put that bullet back in, in, in Darlene basically. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I, you can't imagine that Irving, uh, doesn't know who Darlene is. Like if, if Irving knows everything that he knows about Elliot Alderson has to know that Elliot has a sister who is involved in all of this as well. But I think by calling her miss and by like making that threat in her direction, I think is, uh, is very actively dismissive of her and her role in everything. Um, and we also know that Darlene has a very righteous axe to grind against the Dark Army that, as you like to say, and I think it's the first time we're saying it in these terms on this podcast, I'm planting a flag, Antonio. Oh. Uh, we, we said in the preseason podcast, in the preview podcasts, um, that I can totally imagine the scenario where like, you get Bobby Cannavale onto Mr. Robot because you promise him like a really delicious done-in-one arc. Uh, like You promise him like a really really juicy role for one season so i'm expecting Barbecue juicy like aren't you expecting irving to die like that just like feels yeah. like something that yes. will happen yeah. um calling calling the shot putting the putting the flag in the ground darlene alderson is the one who gets to do it uh oh. Dar darlene uh-huh darlene darlene <laughs> is going to be the person who is going to get to put irving in the ground uh just gonna put that out there as my prediction i feel like it would be really righteous for this person that he just completely dismisses who has this serious very legitimate vendetta against the dark army given everything that they have done to her and what they've taken away uh for her to get back at them and to lash back at them uh against a character who is kind of right now one of the principal faces of the Dark Army. Can't imagine that he's much more than a lieutenant, uh, but is for the show's purposes a primary face. Uh, I think that that would be that would be a great move for the character. So that's my instinct. That's what that's where I'm feeling where this is going. I like it. She won't miss. Uh, I do think that there we've seen her kill somebody on the show already. We yep. saw her and the the implication. It's all about the implication. The implication was that she knew 
what was going to happen. That she knew that Madam Executioner had a heart problem and that by tasing her, she was going to knock her into the pool unconscious and that would be it. Mobley even said like her heart issue was all over those emails. You didn't, we went through the emails. You didn't, you didn't see it. Like, how could you not see it? And we knew Darlene had a grudge against this woman from a long way back. And now her grudge is against the Dark Army, as you point out. She's freaking out. She's panicking. She's probably being stretched in a different direction by the FBI, which is going to put more pressure on her. So you're right. That could come to a boil. And it feels like the person that could that boil could get lanced and the person that could get lanced is Irving. So I am I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. I think that's a good flag to plant for sure. Uh, Elliot's pointing out that they'd be dead if the Dark Army wanted them to. But I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think you're right that White Rose has already said Mr. Alderson can die for us for the cause when his role is completed but i think maybe darlene is only alive because killing her would send elliot so sideways that he wouldn't be able to participate or he wouldn't be interested his his anger would be completely redirected at that point if they took darlene off the table so maybe that's the only reason she's alive to begin with and maybe if elliot is non-compliant and we can't have elliot in the story at all there's no reason to let Darlene live at that point. So I think Irving might be saying something that's very real. And Elliot would be wise, I think, to, to not focus on the fact that they're only alive because they don't want, we're only alive because they don't want us to be dead. So we don't have to worry about them killing us. I think if things change, if things go more sideways, I think that could be a very real thing that could happen. Darlene, though, clearly has another role to play, right? Because she immediately starts pumping Elliot for specific information about Tyrell. She says, was Tyrell involved from the start? Answer the question. Has he been part of this whole thing since the beginning? And Elliot says, no, Josh, but that's certainly not what he needs to say for the FBI, I don't think. You'd think he'd want to pin this whole thing on Tyrell. Well, I don't think that he knows what he's he's up against. Be honest with me, Darlene. I'll happily lie for you. It just I, I don't understand exactly why Elliot is withholding that. Like, I don't know why he's not giving her the Tyrell information. Like, you know, it's he doesn't know. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't know on what level Tyrell was involved the whole time. Right. It would be wrong to say yes, because even if Tyrell has been involved and he was meeting with Mr. Robot the whole time, Elliot doesn't really remember he doesn't remember the three days after the hack yeah but he, you don't think he can glean that from his interaction with tyrell uh at the end he of didn't season even two think it was real at the end of season two well, I, I think mean, he's gotta he's gotta know now that that yeah, guy was real that guy was real but what how involved was he like what level of involvement did he have we don't i think elliot's brain is in a, a lot of different places on this subject for sure so i don't think yes is the right answer but i don't think knows the right answer either uh, he could have at least said facebook wise it's complicated like my relationship with Tyrell is complicated and it's complicated by the fact that he kind of loves me. So there's that in play as well. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't know why Elliot is, is saying no on Tyrell there, but at least I'm not sure that Elliot knows to what level Tyrell was involved, but it's scary that Darlene is pumping him directly for that info. Again, the sort of thing you do when you're wired. Uh, and how does the dark army not know about that? Or do they know and they don't care? Are they letting the FBI get information that's false? We don't really know who's playing whom at this point. So that all remains to be seen. One thing we skipped over a little bit, Josh, when they first entered the barbecue joint, Elliot says, red wheelbarrow. Did they get that from me or did I get it from them? Regardless, this must be the guy that sent me the menu. So what's going on here? Red wheelbarrow. Did Elliot get it from them? Is this part of the programming? Are we in a Manchurian candidate-like scenario with this red wheelbarrow stuff with Tyrell repeated it? Is that a mantra? Did Tyrell's father implant that in him? What, what's your take on oh, the red wheelbarrow of it all? Yeah, I honestly haven't given it much thought. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's always been a little odd to me that 
that like there is this barbecue joint named Red Wheelbarrow and there was that recitation of the poem Red Wheelbarrow in the scene between Tyrell and Elliot. And I think Elliot openly wondering about it on the show at least suggests we'll get you know, some sort of definitive answer on that front, right? Like, I, I think I, so, yeah. Yeah, but I, I have no theories as to as to as to what that could actually be. Yeah, it's fascinating because a lot of the theories that are in play do involve some level of programming or mental programming, or that these people are uh, are conditioned in some respect, and that phrase is part of it. And when Tyrell threw that out there, it was at a moment of desperation when Elliot was saying, "Like, I don't think you really care. You know, you don't you don't really really burn me." And he got out of the car and tried to go away, and Tyrell bust burst out of the car and just said it just said it and that's what we saw in the previously on was tyrell saying it elliot named his journal that the book is named that elliot drew wheelbarrows throughout the journal and they were present throughout this motif of wheelbarrows so we really don't know what's fascinating of course is that poem as we talked about in season two is a poem that is form as much as function. It's very short. It's, there's a lot of imagery that are direct and that's direct and stark in the poem. But a lot of people have said, like, what is the meaning behind that imagery? Why? So it, there's, it's just, it's a very direct thing that people have read whatever they want into because it is so direct and people are wondering what's the secondary meaning. And there's a lot of discussion of, is it, is it more than just rain uh, on a wheelbarrow next to some chickens or is there more to it like are we supposed to read into it and that gets into the whole reading in reality and are, are we seeing reality as it is or is there more to it it certainly gets into what elliot does extensively with reality and bending reality is reality as we see it or is there something more to it so the poem itself has a lot of direct thematic value, but it seems like it might have a lot more narrative value in the story. Uh, it, it's certainly something that I think we should continue to track. And I think as you're pointing out, Elliot saying it here at the beginning of this scene is reason to continue to track it alone. So yeah, that's the red wheelbarrow. Darlene basically at the barbecue says like you speaking of reality, you can bury your head. If you want, you can bury your head in the sand, but my eyes are staying open and Elliot's kind of a jerk here. Not a good brother like at least we're alive elliot says it could be we could be cisco we could be dead darlene drops an f-bomb which josh i noticed a couple uncensored f-bombs airing on usa during the airing of this show good for them i love that we're we've come a long way in a couple of years here so uh yeah then we go to commercial when we come back from commercial then we have the epic rant speaking of elliot viewing reality uh, i thought you had a great conversation with sam esmail about this rant yeah, I thought that this was, you know, it, it was a big kind of, um, you know, it's certainly what I what I imagine would be kind of a lightning rod of a moment on the show where Mr. Robot has never been afraid to really dive into, you know, hot takes or controversial topics or really letting you know where it stands politically, really. Um, and even though this show takes place in 2015, Mr. Robot has already taken shots at Donald Trump uh, as recently as season two when Terry Colby... Uh, has some, honest man. <laughs> the last honest man has some pretty harsh and vulgar words for Donald Trump in that episode in that exchange with Philip Price. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that in this scene where Elliot is going to have this kind of, you know, this real big epiphany of it's not that, you know, I had to take out E Corp. It's not necessarily that, like, you know, this revolution wasn't going to, you know, bring about the change that I wanted. Like, it brought us into this world 
worse place. It brought us into this worse world. I did this. I made this. And has this. It's, it's such a, I thought, a really powerful and great scene. And then it like it actively draws in Donald Trump to the narrative where you are seeing um, footage from Trump campaign rallies. And it's like very harrowing and haunting to have that juxtaposed in this moment. Um, and I wanted to ask Sam Esmail about it because I kind of wanted to just like get into his head of like, what was the origin of crafting this scene? Um, so in asking him that question, this was his answer to me. He said, we always look for the emotional truth in every scene. We can't help but include what we're going through in what we write. In fact, I think it's imperative that you do. That's how you stay honest about what you're trying to say in your work. Uh, as an aside, of course, Terry Colby is familiar with this idea. Uh, <laughs> Elliot's our guiding force on Mr. Robot. And when he comes to this realization that in trying to save the world, he was actually at fault, that even though he had the best intentions, he hurt people. He didn't help people. And all of the consequences were his to own. That paralleled and resonated so much with what we were going through in the room during the election last year, which was catastrophic and tragic not just for the country, but for the world. We felt responsibility for it. It had nothing to do with whether we voted against Trump or not. We felt responsible, whether it was avoiding the signs or not voicing our side as much or taking it for granted. We felt some sort of responsibility. It felt wrong not to include that really strong reaction and strong feeling into the show because it so overlapped with what Elliot was experiencing in that montage. We just let that be our guiding force. What feels honest and true to us? It's all a creative expression. It's not meant to be about facts. It's meant to be impressionistic at times. We felt like we could take the liberty here because it resonated so strongly. Um, so that was Esmail's response to including this moment in the episode and really going there uh, with the Trump of it all. And Corridana uh, weighed in as well. And this was his response um, when I asked him the question. He said, I can't tell you how many nights we spent talking about this monologue and Elliot's goals for the season. These conversations were taking place during the 2016 election. And I remember this feeling of helplessness, regret, and a motivation to fix things, quote-unquote, with fix. From an emotional perspective, this felt very true to what Elliot was going through at this point in the story. The dark future that he was imagining because of something he did is the dark future we're living through because of our own actions or inaction. It felt like we needed to stay true to that. I remember the room discussing how season one was quote-unquote fuck society. In season two, we did quote-unquote fuck God. When somebody pitched quote-unquote fuck me for this season, everyone immediately agreed that it felt right. And I need to point out that everyone immediately agreeing on something in the Mr. Robot writer's room is a rarity. <laughs> Elliot messed up the world and he needs to take responsibility for that before he can sincerely try to fix things. Um, so that's two of the main writers of the show's perspectives on that scene. I think it's really fascinating insight into what was one of the most, um, I don't know, one of the most electric moments of, frankly, Mr. Robot for me so far. Yeah. And look, they're not responsible. It's not your fault, guys. Come on. Uh, but yeah, it, it it totally makes sense that what would resonate with them emotionally is resonating with their character. Elliot is such an intensely personal character, which is interesting because many people who watch the show, and it doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is. 
people say, I, I find him relatable. There's things about him. I feel that way. I feel like that about society. I feel like that about the world. And so I think a lot of people have that anger that Elliot had in season one. And I can see where if you write a character that expresses that emotion and you feel like maybe that anger was what was being tapped into and manipulated for negative reasons in the political world, then you might see like this is a result of what happens if you tap into that anger and it's manipulated in a negative way. So it makes sense that when Elliot is coming to grips with all this, that he's thinking about this. And granted, it is not real, right? In the world of Mr. Robot, this is 2015 still. None of that stuff has happened. But Elliot is seeing what can happen when you operate in from a negative emotion and you do destructive things and you go from your most base place and you do things to blow things up or to change things in a very negative way because you're so frustrated or unhappy. This is what happens. You can be manipulated. Your very base, baseline emotional reactions will by these organizations and by these places in society and just by the nature of you debasing yourself like that be used against you ultimately. And I can see where Mr. Robot feels like there's a simpatico thing happening between Elliot and between where we are as a society. So it is fascinating to see that, but it is important, I think, from a narrative standpoint to keep in mind, even though Elliot is talking about, well, not directly talking about Lance Armstrong and Tom Brady and things like that in season one, those were more contemporaneous references. This is Elliot Elliot seeing a dark future that we actually are living in our world that is not part of the Mr. Robot story as yet and probably will never get there, right? No. Uh, in fact, Esmail is pretty clear about that uh, in asking if we are you know, going to get to a Trump presidency at some point in the future of Mr. Robot. And if you want to call this a spoiler, call it a spoiler. I don't think it really is. I think that the action of the show is pretty firmly grounded in where we are right now. Uh, but I asked, how does how does Trump continue to, to loom over season three of Mr. Robot? And Esmail's response was, it looms over the season in the way that it looms over us, the creator behind the show, we've always infused what we're experiencing and feeling into what we write and shoot, and that way it'll be felt, but we'll never catch up to it, which is a good thing for the people in the Mr. Robot world, as <laughs> fucked up as that world is. At least we'll never see a Trump presidency in that world. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you want to like read into that as like Elliot will, um, or the characters will fix the situation, or they will steer history down a different path, and we'll get to see that, or if things are just going to stay in 2015 or however that's going to shake out but uh i thought that that was a that was an interesting answer as well yeah i mean sam Esmail is the auteur of this show he's the showrunner he's the creator this is his passion and there you can't go to sam Esmail's twitter without understanding that a huge part of what's important to him and what he talks about on a daily basis is the political state of the world and specifically his issues with the current political system and maybe elliot expressed those in a in a more f society kind of way and he's blaming himself because that's not the most nuanced view so i think it's also interesting on a meta level to see the creator of the show remarking in through this character that he created and that is his voice that maybe he he feels responsible for certain things, or maybe he does feel that it was an inaction or inactivity because he had a platform or something like that. It's fascinating to see that relationship when you talk about uh, existing in two mental states and the conjoining of them. It, it's it's you're seeing, in fact, the creator speaking through the character in many respects, and there is that meta aspect that is fascinating on on one level, but it is also 
it really does a good job of setting the stakes, I think, for this season at large with where Elliot views it. I mean, we know he's trying to take back the hack. He wants to undo these things. And even though you can't undo it, he wants to, to change the way he's going about things. But now I think we're seeing a real reason for that animus beyond the, the, the way the world is. We're seeing specifically how he feels the world could end up as a result of what he did. He didn't think it through, Josh. He thought of how to take Evil Corp down and he thought of all those stages and plans, but he didn't think through the reality of what that would look like. And I really like in this sequence, taking aside all the political imagery, the moment where Elliot faces off with that wall of victims because... Clearly, his actions directly have resulted in the deaths of some of the people that are on that board. Maybe not all of them, like Romero, but at least some of them. But his indirect actions clearly have caused a problem for people worldwide. And that's definitely leading to death, right? Like, this is something he has to come to grips with. And even though this is all in his head, he's sitting at Red Wheelbarrow the whole time. And he's imagining all of this as he's walking down the streets. Uh, this is something that he definitely has to deal with, knowing the reality of it. Not just Shayla, but a lot of unknown people. And And so I really like that aspect of it as well, that knowing that Elliot is carrying that stuff around with him really does speak to where this character's head is at quite literally as we begin this season. And and I think it helps situate how his what his motivation is going to be for the season to come. Um, all right, so Elliot is going to be galvanized by that, and he is going to, you know, have that great line where he, you know, F me, and he wakes yeah, up. Yeah, that's kind great. Of, you know, he snaps back out of it. He's at Red Wheelbarrow. So was, like, all of that just, like, a, an emotional sojourn? Like, did he not even leave the barbecue joint uh, while he was going through all of that? I think is kind of fun. Um, but he goes back to Angela's, and he goes back to Angela's with a request. Elliot Alderson needs a job. Oh my gosh. Josh, he wants to work at Evil Corp. And this is, this is some season one territory. I mean, even from the second episode of the show, Tyrell offered Elliot a job at Evil Corp. This is something that's been on the table for him in the past. His number one client at Allsafe was Evil Corp, but he hates that company. And so you talk about the belly of the beast. Elliot wants to get right in there. And, uh, it's, uh, you talk about a guy who is in a situation that he feels is his own doing. Uh, this is, you, you really needs to descend into the, into the, ba- the depths of hell for him to undo this. This is some, uh, this is some divine comedy type stuff. This is uh, an interesting task for sure. Yeah, when I brought this up with Adana, I mentioned it as uh, Elliot going in and sleeping with the enemy, and how did they arrive at this idea for season three? And he had a little bit of a different take. He said, sure, if he ends up working at Evil Corp, I could see that as sleeping with the enemy, but the real realization he makes in this episode is that Evil Corp is a necessary evil for the world to function. By destroying Evil Corp, he started us on that path to a dark future. So in the room, we spent a lot of time talking about Elliot's arc and the narrative thrust for the season, if he wants to help Evil Corp recover from the 5-9 hack, what better place to do it than from Evil Corp? It also creates some cool dramatic irony because we know that Mr. Robot is still around. Elliot working at Evil Corp is like giving Mr. Robot on-site access to an enemy territory. Oh my gosh. Personally, the idea of Elliot returning to Evil Corp reminds me of the all-safe days in Season 1, and there's a lot of fun to be had with Elliot inside of an office-slash-corporate environment. Um, so much to pick apart in that answer, but all of that is so exciting. <laughs> like, yeah. 
because yeah. we do know. I mean, we're we're kind of yada yadaing uh, to the to the moment where we do see in this episode that Mr. Robot very much is still kicking around, even though Elliot is suspecting that he's gone. Um, so so that's one one aspect of it is like if Elliot is at Evil Corp, then so is Mr. Robot. So holy heck, what's that going to mean? Um, but also just the idea of like getting Elliot back in the office grind. It's absolutely true. Like some of the the greatest moments of joy on this show, like some of the most like uh, you know unbridled fun moments were when Elliot was like forced to interact with other human beings in these you know in like a very like strict set of rules in an office environment like the you know like the I forget the what was the the walking on sunshine montage or yeah. whatever whatever that I mean, was it like became basic and he got hugs yeah, and, yeah, some, and Starbucks, some Starbucks and yeah gonna go see those Marvel movies steal so, my sunshine so that yeah steal my sunshine so that's so that's great like if we're getting back into that territory and the fact that we could get back to that territory territory i think you really did need season two to like plunge you into the depths of darkness so that you could earn your way back to to moments like that so i'm stoked i i'm brian stoked i'm i'm really uh i'm very excited to to see where we where we go with this like i think it's going to be really fun to see elliot in the office environment again um and who knows what that's going to give us in terms of like the plot engine but i think just in terms of like the the visceral feeling of having elliot have to like make nice with people who he targeted, you know, not too long ago uh, should be really, really exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how the FBI reacts to this as well, because we know he's a person of interest in five, nine, and we know the FBI is working with E Corp in some respects. I mean, they were at their facility on their, they had a whole floor of the E Corp facility. So the idea that someone who is a key player in the five, nine hack is now in house at E Corp, that certainly should be raising some red flags. So I'm fascinated to see how that ultimately plays out as well, because Elliot is not the kind of guy that you don't want to pay a attention to you need to pay attention to this guy so whether e-corp is going to do that where's the oversight who's watching the watchmen and maybe elliot being a little off yeah a lot of people are watching the watchmen right we're, we're going to be uh but yeah i don't know I, is that is this intentional does the dark army want this does the fbi want it i i'm fascinated at the moves of the players that we can't really see in play the again pr- the game between price and white rose has always been in play but i think the fbi is an intervening agent agent here and i don't know how that's going to impact what's on the board and if price and white rose are accounting for it or not price has put bureaucrats in their place consistently throughout the course of the show so if he wants something to happen and the fbi's in his way i have a feeling he'll know how to get him out of his way i'm just i'm really i can't wait to see how this all plays out with elliot there if that is ultimately what happens i mean i don't know if it's confirmed it seems likely uh, because El- angela does bring it up then later in the episode when she tells the dark army when she tells irving one more thing, I'm going to get him a job at Evil Corp. Like, this is going to happen. So she seems to be on board with it. The Dark Army seems to be on board with it. It'll be fascinating to see where it goes. So on top of that, Elliot and Angela are going to have uh, a really uh, a painfully awkward moment, oh uh, a very difficult moment where, you know, it kind of starts on this really romantic note of like, uh, I need you to tell me if I'm him. Uh, like, I, you need to like be able to tell me if I'm Mr. Robot. If anyone can tell, it's you. You know me better than anybody. She's the only person he could trust. And he kisses her and they've kissed before. This happened in season two. And like, you kind of feel like, oh, Oh, man, here we go. But no, 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 here we don't. Angela is not having it. She says what happened before was a mistake. And we get from Elliot 
if you're wondering if this hurts, it hurts a lot. Uh, and it's, it's sad, you know, it's a sad moment. It's, it, you can imagine like it takes a lot for Elliot to put himself out there right. like that. He is, you know, a very socially isolated guy. So to do that is, is difficult. So that form of rejection must be very painful. Um, and Angela is, you know, going to have a really complicated relationship with Elliot, uh, as of this very episode. It's already a very complicated relationship with him, but we're going to see very soon which Elliot Angela is really invested in. Uh, so it's, I don't know, the whole thing, it's its really, it's really layered. Uh, I feel like this is probably not an episode where a lot of people are leaving it being Team Angela. This can't help with that. <laughs> uh, but I, I really think like the bigger deal is that she's in cahoots with, with Robot. Yeah, and maybe more than cahoots. I think that there's some belief that that might be a relationship that evolves differently than the one between Angela and Elliot as we know him. Because in this context, Elliot tells Angela, I need you to tell me if I'm him. You know me better than anyone. Right now, you're the only person I can trust. And the mirror of that is later in the episode, Robot tells Angela, right now, Angela, I don't trust you. So it's fascinating that those two characters are both Elliot, obviously, and the two sides of Elliot both trust Angela more than anyone else in the world and don't trust Angela. Angela also says later in the episode, I'm not going to talk to you like I talk to him. Does that mean the terms of their relationship are completely different? Does that mean there's the possibility that Angela is attracted to the robot element of Elliot and not the Elliot element? In this scene when Elliot and Angela kiss and she says it's a mistake, after he says it hurt a lot, he gives us the episode title. He says Angela's power saver mode is basically not loving the people who love her. She loves the people who don't. So if she's responsive to negging and Robot is giving her that, it'll be fascinating to see if that's something that develops because she and Elliot himself do have a deep connection. And that is Elliot as Robot, but it's Elliot as a completely different person that she even recognizes. He, he looks her in the eyes directly when he's Robot and he doesn't do that as Elliot. So I'm fascinated to see how this evolves. I don't want to bechtel this, this thing into the ground where I'm only interested in, in Angela's character as pertains to her relationship with Elliot, that's not the case at all. But I think it's a fascinating dynamic that could evolve between the two characters. And I think that's really, it starts with this this baseline of Angela and Elliot in this scene. So it does hurt. It does hurt to see that. And Angela's vulnerable too, right? Because right after all, everything with the kiss, Angela starts crying and says, I have to tell you something. Right. And then she goes into the white rose element, right? Yeah, and so this is, you know, it's scary stuff. <laughs> it's really. <laughs> what are you afraid of, Josh? Oh, gosh. So she's, she's telling. Is there a parallel Ali- universe where other guys like us are podcasting? It's probable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, she, she tells, she tells Elliot a lot about, um, you know, she's kind of parroting what White Rose said to her, basically. She's saying, what if I could tell you, you know, we could, we could make it like none of this ever happened, not just five nine, but we could take everything back that's happened. And what would you sacrifice for that? And Elliot's like, well, that's not possible. And she says, well, what if I told you it is? And Elliot asks the question that we would be asking in that moment, how? And frustratingly, Angela says, never mind. Uh, but it <laughs> never does, mind, it's only episode it, one. <laughs> it, does, it does make you wonder, like, what did she see? What did she see? We know that she is really committed to this cause based on what's coming up next in this episode. Um, and it seems like she, like White Rose, is deeply moved by the contemplation. Um, so, mm. <laughs> <laughs> good reaction. Yeah. Mm. Hashtag that one. Mm, yeah, it is. It is fascinating because it, it's not just 
it's not just that she saw something. It's that she believes, right? That she has a passion and that she believes this thing. The funny thing is, when it comes to like hitting the reset button, Elliot hasn't hit it completely, but Elliot has behaved. He's lived a life where his dad isn't dead. We've seen what that looks like in season one of Mr. Robot, in season two of Mr. Robot. We know what that's like. This manifestation that Elliot has created where his dad didn't die. His dad's still around and talks to him. Josh, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not great. Yeah. So Elliot has experienced this thing in a warped way, in a way that his own brain created. But I don't know if there's a better way to experience this. You get into the monkey's paw of it all. You get into the scenario where you wish for a thing and you see the thing in reality. And in reality, it is not what you expected. It is not what you wanted. And Angela is, is eyes wide open, pie in the sky, seemingly thinking that this will only be positive. But this whole episode in Elliot's headspace has been about you dream these big dreams. You execute on them, and then you have to deal with the aftermath, and it's never what you wanted. It's never what you expected. And the untold realities that could emerge from what you created are terrifying, such that you're going to want to undo what you did. And here's Angela at a very different point in this scenario. She wants to carry through with a plan that she thinks will help her hit the reset button on society. And we've just, like the scene before this, seen the contemplation of what that could result in and what that actually looks like. And Elliot has lived that reality. So this is a terrifying scene on that level because Angela is suffering from true believerism in a thing that we've seen the consequences of play out directly and indirectly in this episode and on this show. And it makes me, yeah, I understand understand why people might be leaving this episode not just because she's manipulating Elliot but with a negative view of Angela overall uh Bobby Marasa one of our one of our faithful listeners in previous seasons of the podcast Bobby from Jersey emailed in and said I love the episode I love the character but I'm pissed at Angela can't believe she's using Elliot's condition against him as viewers are we rooting for Elliot or Mr. Robot to win out I've never been more team Elliot this does Josh set up that dichotomy completely starkly we've got a team forming here We've got a team forming here, and Angela is Team Robot. We see after Elliot has gone to bed that Elliot wakes up and Mr. Robot is there. Uh, it is Mr. Robot and not Elliot in the room, and Angela is going to talk to Mr. Robot, and it's very clear that this is the guy that she's been waiting to see, and uh, that it's clear that Elliot's request of Angela to monitor me, and you gotta let me know if it's me or if it's the other guy, um, she's, she's here for the other guy. Yeah, Robay. Yeah, this is not great. Uh, this is not great at all. And the question, I guess, is she at the end of this scene, she has zips up some kind of case. It almost looks like something you'd keep a syringe or something in and says this is in case Elliot comes back. Did she manipulate this into a reality to begin with? Did she bring Robot into being somehow? Did she drug his drink? Did she emotionally manipulate him? Or did she just feel like him sleeping there would be enough to make Robot reemerge? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what the mechanics of this are quite yet. But, um, and, and we also, you know, in fairness, we don't know, like, could Elliot could be in the room, right? Like, I mean, we've seen in, oh, true. in season two, like, one of the great climactic moments of season two was the whole mind awake body asleep mind awake body asleep where elliot was able to spy on mr robot from a distance uh where he was able to really do like that detached thing where he could be the ghost in the room watching himself put these unfamiliar and foreign acts into place could elliot be spying on this moment right now we don't even know 
It's entirely possible, right? And the other thing is that Angela's got that case after she's been working with White Rose, right? So does White Rose know how to control Elliot and bring about this second side of him? Does this speak more to the deeper programming that might have occurred? And has White Rose activated Elliot uh, at some point? I mean, we talk about other great scenes when, when we did our preseason preview podcast with the, the scenes you should watch. We did the Mind Awake Body Asleep sequence, but we also talked about the first meeting between Elliot and White Rose. And you, I think, very astutely observed when White Rose says, you'll never see me again. Maybe it's that form of Elliot and that there's not an implication there that she's not meeting with the Mr. Robot form of Elliot or hasn't met with him in the past. So there is that element of this as well. If Angela knows this Elliot potion, she didn't just invent that out of thin air. Somebody told her that. And if they knew it already, that means it might have been used in the past. And that, oh, I think, opens the door for the possibility that there's something deeper going on with the Dark Army controlling Elliot for a longer period of time. It had to be somebody, whether it was Irving or otherwise, that gave her the, maybe when they when they brought Elliot to her home after the surgery, here's how you bring Elliot back. Here's how you keep Mr. Robot at bay. And she talks about in case it, redirecting his energy, which is a scary thing because I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if she's going to, if that's the evil corp job or if there's something else, but it does feel like she's going to actively work against Elliot. And I understand Bobby's concern in that respect. And I'm definitely team Elliot in that realm, but I definitely want to see how this plays out. We also uh, have a great line of like, how can you tell it's me? And it's, it's your eyes. You never, you never look away. Uh, and just imagine kind of like, you know, the very different Elliot that you're interacting with when you're dealing with Mr. Robot. Uh, certainly we know Mr. Robot to be very charismatic and really forward and just cutting through the BS, um, in a way that Elliot is, you know, even when he's at his most irritable, like he's very shy, like he's not somebody who, you know, puts that foot forward. Uh, unless he really, really has to. And season two gave us a few moments where like, we got to see Rami Malek play that out a little bit. Um, I'm really excited at the possibility of like seeing that more because like, I want to see more of like just Rami Malek in that stone cold Christian Slater esque yes. mold of Mr. Robot. And I think that there's like, it's, this is a great stage note of what that would look like, you know, of, of just like having that really intense stare from Rami Malek would be, you know, really incredible. Um, but moving- it is, yeah, it's fascinating though, right? Because yeah. they're not talking to each other anymore. They were talking to each other before. Elliot gets shot. The Dark Army starts medically treating him. He wakes up and he and Robot are no longer in the same room at the same time in any way except mentally. He's not seeing him as far as we see at the same time. Christian Slater and Rami Malik aren't sharing the screen in the way that they used to in season one and season two. So we're, we're at a very interesting position as a result of maybe something that happened maybe something that didn't but we're in many ways we're like we were in season one where elliot doesn't know what robot is doing uh but the difference is we know now and we're going to see all this play out and you know yeah like you said moving on uh we we bring elliot and angela right into irving's clutches again into this underground lair and irving too maybe he doesn't really know that there is a bipolar thing happening here so i do wonder where what angela is keeping in that zipper case if the dark army doesn't know because irving seems to think it's all one guy he doesn't seem to know that there's a two-person thing happening there 
Well, it might not be a thing that he needs to know, you know, Irving might not know basis. Yeah. You know, Irving might not have that level of access. He might not have that clearance for like knowing the full scope of Elliot Alderson. And that could certainly help explain like why he would be like, yeah, well, we could just kill you. Like, well, maybe you can't, but you just like don't understand just how important Elliot is to everything. I think that that could be, that could be a factor in play here. Um, but Irving is clearly directly connected with the Elliot Tyrell collaboration. Tyrell is here as well. Um, so it's our first sighting of Tyrell this season. And the scene between him and Mr. Robot here, I think, is really, really fun. Uh, where Tyrell is like so upset about what he's done. And Mr. Robot's like, well, you know, you could have like shot better. Like that was that was pretty bad. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm still ticking. Yeah, you could have tried to kill me, but instead you missed every vital organ. It takes pretty poor marksmanship to do that. Uh, I think I've seen uh, some nascent criticism online that Elliot didn't really suffer enough from this gunshot wound. But uh, this is I, I, this is speaking to that a little bit. It was a, it was a straight it was an in and out. It was a through and through. He didn't he didn't hit anything vital. So it's really just the wound itself repairing, and he's up and at him. And I think it's funny that yeah that Mister Robot is turning that right back in his face. Tyrell is just shook. He is so pathetic and so lost. I, I would be interested to see if we get an emergent Tyrell in this season and we're able to fill in the blanks at all of what turned him into such a dog, such a puppy at this point, because he doesn't seem to be active at all in the context of the story. He's just sitting around waiting for Elliot to take the controls. And I'm not sure what his role Tyrell's role in the story is at this point, other than maybe the Patsy. Maybe that's all it is. Well, it's it's just great to have him back in the action at all, you know, and like having him introduced at the tail end of season two, like it took so long to get one of the show's greatest characters back into the mix that to do nothing with him now would be uh, an unforgivable sin. You know, it would just be... It <laughs> no, would we're be not going to do another season where we no. don't know if he's, he's alive or dead. That no. sounds like a good idea. You know, so like clearly he's alive and clearly he still exists in this world. And I'm very happy to see him here. And it's a small taste of Tyrell here in this first episode. But got to imagine that we've got a lot more to do with him here. And just seeing him and Mr. Robot sitting down and getting back to work. You know, this is the this is the opposite side of the battlefield. Uh, and I think, you know, with the buzzword of the season being disintegration and seeing like this in practice of like, well, what does that really mean? And like, how do you disintegrate between Elliot and Robot. Um, honestly, like this isn't so far off from what the original status quo was, right? Like Elliot had no idea about his own role right. in creating F Society and launching the 5-9 hack, and now we're just kind of back to those basics. Yeah, that's what um, I was saying. Yeah, but we're seeing it differently. Before, yeah. we would see them in the same scenes together, but now we're just seeing Mr. Robot as Elliot. So, we as an audience do know more, as we talked about earlier in this podcast, and it's unfortunate even though it is very similar to the season one setup, and it does make you wonder if we're going to see Rami Malek playing the Christian Slater role again, like you said, or if we're just going to see now, every time we see Christian Slater, we're going to know this is that half of Elliot. They've been, they've been disintegrated. They've been separated. They've fallen apart to a degree. And I don't know. I, it's uh, it does. It, as we, you point out, there are these, these feelings that were associated with the first season, but it feels like we've evolved too. And it's summed up in the monologue, but it's summed up in the way we're reviewing Mr. Robot as Elliot at this point. 
So Mr. Robot and Angela are going to get on a bus back from wherever it is that they've been meeting up with Tyrell and with Irving. And Mr. Robot's going to toss out something that I think is interesting of like, I don't trust you, Angela. Like, why are you doing this? Aren't you Elliot's friend? Why are you helping me? Like, I really don't trust that. I'm super suspicious of that. And she articulates why she's doing it. You know, she talks about how Evil Corp killed my mom and I've wanted justice for her death the whole time. But like, how can you, how can you do that? And it thought this was an un winnable victory um and then like i found out about white rose and i met white rose and she opened my eyes to seeing how this could all be fixed and how we can undo this and when we succeed a whole new world will be born um do we fully buy that is there any reason why we should be on mr robot side of like mistrusting her relationship with mr robot or do you think that her answer that she delivers here really is meant to let us know the line of the in on the sand that Angela is deciding to stand on. I mean, I think that we are there like we are where Angela is. But the thing is, I think we talked about this. Her motivation really reeks of Elliot's previous motivation, which we feel we've seen the evolution of. And by flashing forward into the future, we know where it ends up. And so it's fascinating that Angela is in a place that Elliot was in previously and her true believerism. We've seen the consequences of that. So whether or not she truly believes it, or not, I think we know it's probably doomed to failure. Even if I, I think that even if you're able to come into some place where you see sci-fi fitting in the show and a door is opened and a parallel universe is entered and all of that is something that happens, which is crazy enough to comprehend. I think we see the, the reality of that already playing out in the show where you can have all these ideals and you can even succeed at these grandiose plans that no one would think were possible. And yet when you do, it's the, it's the, the untold, con- you know, the, uh, the unanticipated consequences thing it's the thing where you did not expect what the reality of that would look like and when you actually see it it's dark and it's bad so i'm of no position to believe that she's playing elliot as both sides that she's lying to elliot and working with mr robot but then she's really working mr robot ultimately to help elliot i don't think she has a hidden agenda like that i think she's being pretty clear with what's happening here but there's always the possibility that robot is never going to trust her and that he's not going to trust that reality i we don't ultimately know if Elliot is seeing that future and feeling regret. We don't know what's motivating Mr. Robot. Is it just that pure chaos, unbridled id? I always wanted to blow up the gas plant to begin with. So, of course, I want to execute stage two. And he's a dark, negative energy. We've talked about this so much, Josh, in this podcast, where his true motivations lie. Self-preservation, self-destruction, destruction of society, destruction of everything, where he is on that continuum. But depending on where he is on that continuum, him. He may trust Angela or not trust her, but I feel like there's no reason to doubt that she's being honest when she delivers this very stirring monologue about everything that happened, and we see why she's on board. Totally aided by the use of Daft Punk in the song Touch, uh, the line, you've almost convinced me I'm real, ending at the, uh, you know, ending the note. It's just, it's right on point with everything that's happening in the show, for sure. It's a really powerful moment. The lights are coming back on, so it's literally powerful. Uh, New York City is coming back to life, and we're getting this mission statement from Angela uh, where she's talking about her motivation and why she's doing what she's doing. And this is great. I mean, season three is at a place in the story now where we've always been invested in Elliot. We've been invested in Elliot from the jump, but season two did so much work in getting us invested in the supporting cast and 
and the power of ending the first episode of the season on a character like Angela, who is somebody who we knew decently well in the first season, but we we have been along with her journey now in a in a deeper way, where even still, like kind of at arm's length in terms of what she's really really after, but we have seen her pain and we have felt her pain and we have seen her struggles, and to know that she has this sort of active dog in the fight, um, it's it's a great it's a great scene. It's a cool note to end on and that's it i mean that's that's where we're left uh what else do you got for me antonio mazzaro <laughs> not much i uh, just i am we didn't put too much of a button in this but i am really curious to fill in the blanks and see how long irving has been involved in this story we talked about his character and that he seems to have been involved from uh, an earlier point so i'm i'm looking forward to them filling in those blanks josh how about the shout out are we going to do a post-show recap about nbc's new smash show shift control are we gonna do that <laughs> i don't know i don't know if we've got the bandwidth for shift control maybe a most shows recapped i want i would yeah just a one-off yeah i would love to know what shift control looks like who's the star of shift control is it a procedural what is the watered down nbc even though mr robot is an nbc universal uh product i'd love to know what the network tv version of the uh, commodified version of f society would look like uh in in the nbc realm i'm fascinated i saw i thought that was just a really great little detail in the back background of Elliot's rant that NBC has made a TV show about it <laughs> shift control and uh, talk about meta like we're, we're really getting close at that point it's, it's not quite called Mr. Robot but it may as well be starring Alf Oh, that's great. I kill me. Yeah, Willie, I need to reset the universe. That would be great. That would yeah, be pretty good. Melmac has come to Earth, and that's how we have to deal with it. The Akmonics <laughs> next door are on to him, and they know he's part of the hack. They're the Tyrell Wellick character, so that's great. All right, so I think that takes us through everything we've got for this episode, unless you've got anything else to add, Antonio. No, QWERTY's back. That's all I have to say. I love seeing Qu- QWERTY. QWERTY, what up, QWERTY? Yeah, maybe uh, we can get our Keith David. Maybe maybe it'll happen. Get him to the window. Move we him to the only, window. We can, only, we can only hope that that will be something that emerges on season three. What do you think we're going to, what do you think we're going to get into next week, Josh? Is Elliot going to be back at Evil Corp? It seems likely, right? Or he's going to get a job at Evil Corp? It seems very likely. Uh, again, you know, this is a, a question that I posed to Cora Adana. What can you say about what we're in store for next week? And his very simple response was, what are you in store for next week? A new sensation. Oh, so that could be something fun. I'm looking forward to that. Could be bad since it's this Angela's whole new world thing over all over again. Could be good. Could be bad. You never know. It's a toss of the coin. So that would be great. I should add, we didn't see DDP or the FBI at all in this episode. I know DDP's on the show, so it would be great to get a catch up with her. We don't know what's happening with Trenton and Mobley. Elliot name checked them and said they're probably dead. We didn't see Leon or them at all in this episode. So I, I'm wondering what's happening there. We also didn't see Joanna Wellick another big character from the first two seasons of the show. Uh, when last we left her, she was trying to execute a plot against Scott Knowles. So I'm wondering what's happening with Joanna Wellick. We didn't see Philip Price, Josh, uh, or anything from the Philip Price side of the equation. So another character we didn't hit. I remember last in the finale, of course, we had some characters in one half and some in the other half. So if we're doing the, the premiere of season two, if you will, as a two night thing, the second half of a lot of these stories, the Philip Price, the FBI, I am curious to see those blanks getting filled in for sure. 
Well, I think that this is, um, you know, a byproduct of a shorter episode runtime. There's, there's really only so much you can do in just one episode of the series. And unlike season two and like season one, this is only going to be 10 episodes here in season three. So I do think that we're getting like a little bit of a sense of like the leaner, um, robot that might be manifesting across the season is as far as the, the, you know, like the structure of the show. Like there's going to be time for all of those characters, hopefully, as we're moving forward. Um, but it was really important to kind of like just like set up the basics of like what we're doing here in season three and like resetting Elliot after a really dramatic exit in season two. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited like when we have the full season three at our disposal at some point in the future, what it will be like to like really like tear through from season one through the end of season three. And especially that like link point from the end of season two to the beginning of season three. Just like how, how will that run? Like how does that play? Because you don't have that long cliffhanger of, of wondering what's the next step for Elliot. Elliot gets shot in the season two finale as one of the very final things you see. And one of the very first things you see in the very next episode is like, it's a week later and he's okay. Um, so I just think that there's an energy behind season three that I'm really digging so far through this episode. I can't wait to see how that carries forward. Starting next week, episode two, Antonio and I, we are going to be back talking about that episode with a podcast that will debut next Friday after the episode airs next Wednesday. Wednesday. We'll have plenty more stuff on The Hollywood Reporter as well. Interviews with the cast and the crew and our weekly chat with Cora Donna. Check that out. THR.com slash MRRobot. Subscribe to our podcast. PostShowRecaps.com slash MRRobot. iTunes. Again, your ratings, your reviews. Much appreciate. Follow Antonio. <laughs> he is on the Twitter bots. He is at AC Mazzaro. How many Zs? How many Rs? Two Zs. One R. I am at Round Howard. Anything else, Antonio? No, thanks to, thanks, thanks to everybody who already subscribed, shared, left reviews. It's really appreciated. You can also always email us. That's Mr. Robot, MRRobot at postshowrecaps.com. If you have any longer takes or thoughts that you want to get in, uh, now that you've heard the podcast or in advance of next week's episode, feel free to shoot us a line. Uh, it certainly drives the way we think about the episode. If you have observations based on our observations, we'd love to hear them. All right, guys, we will be back next week. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye, friends. 